Did you see that? Did you see that piece in this morning's Times? Oh, I'm telling you, we're making fools of ourselves almost on the hour, every hour, 24 hours a day. <laughs> I'm talking about the pudding ship, as they call it. Remember all that hoopla recently sending all the food into the gather? <laughs> so they wind up with uh, canned truffles, mushroom soup, uh, a la sherry. And <laughs> oh, man. Did you see that? What a funny piece. Sad piece. I'll tell you, it's getting out of my hand. You can't tell me, they're going to be off gallop. It's like Don Quixote. Remember, yeah, you know, story about Don Quixote? Everybody goes to see Man of La Mancha. They think it's great. See, and they all sit there and applaud, and they sing, The Impossible Dream. And they said, That's what it's all about. And they, 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 they did not get Cervantes' message. <laughs> Hardly anybody gets Cervantes' message out of Don Quixote. They think he's a. You know, great character. Actually, uh, he's one of the saddest of all. You know that scene where he goes galloping off after the windmills? Reminds you a lot of people you know, doesn't it, huh? Sure does. Yeah, I'll tell you, friends. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Uh, would you please hit the money button? Your town's New York. Head office of American business. Head office, man. Where more than 22 million people get off and on planes every year. And a lot of them take off for our big town, Montreal. Biggest city in the world's second biggest country, Canada. Montreal and New York. We fly to both. Air Canada, Canada's international airline. The western world's biggest airline outside of the United States. Fly up to Montreal with us. We fly from your town to our town from early in the morning until late at night. Nine flights a day, every day. And every day, on every flight, thrifty family fares. For reservations, phone your travel agent or Air Canada. When your business is big enough for Montreal, fly the big one to Montreal. Yeah. Air Canada. Oh, listen to that jet. Listen to that hornet coal for that baby. Ooh. Air Canada. Hey, you know, speaking of flying, uh, I just uh, flew down from Buffalo. I went up to uh, outside of Buffalo and uh, did a show at St. Bonaventure. A little school there nestled in the hills of uh, northern New York. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, it's uh, near Bradford, Pennsylvania, not uh, 15 seconds from uh, Canada. It's really up there, see, in the plane. Uh, I was on this plane. We go turboprop, and we go flopping down into Buffalo, and the snow, you could just see it swirling down there. And I, I, I would have to say that uh, Buffalo must be one of the grimmest cities from the air in the wintertime of uh, any city that I've flown into recently. Why? Because as far as you can see, you see nothing but this blank white snow and these dead trees peeking up. It looks like you're landing in what you would ordinarily think of as Gnome. And, uh, yeah, we sit down here in New York and we complain about the snow, you know, and it gets down to 40 and people say, Oh, what a cold day. Oh, yoy, oh my God, so cold. Gotta go to Miami, woo! And, uh, you know, they walk around, kvetch and all that about the weather. And up there in uh, northern New York, uh, the instant I got off the plane, I knew I was in the home office of winter. I mean, it's winter there. I mean, really, winter. Everything is gray and lead. And uh, the snow comes down there from about November, and it stays on the ground until May. It just does not leave. And so 
We drove out of, uh, this morning, I drove out of uh, St. Bonaventure towards Bradford, PA, which is where that airport is. Where I was coming back in a different airport, driving through the countryside, the hills rolling off in all directions. And uh, we got out at the airport. And you know, the scene at the airport was really like an Arctic scene. Have you ever seen pictures of Arctic operations in, a, in, a, in, in an airport? Well, you couldn't see the runways at all, just snow, great banks of snow. And it was this yellow snow plow. Have you ever seen one of these really high-speed snow plows with the tremendous whirling blades? This guy's driving up and down that runway about every 30 seconds, going maybe uh, 50 miles an hour. You can't even see the plow. You just see this great uh, splume of snow rising higher and higher, just, just like a great geyser of snow. Just, wow, he's driving like mad. And he's keeping the runway plowed. He just keeps going driving back and forth. And uh, I'm, uh, as a pilot, I was fascinated, you see, because this is really, uh, this is nitty-gritty flying. It's dark and gray, and the snow is coming down. It's coming down harder and harder. You know, they had the biggest snowfall, in case you're not hip to it, in the history of the Weather Bureau outside of Boston. And, man, they've had a lot of snow up there in the years. Forty-four inches in this one Weather Bureau station. Forty-four inches. Think about that. <laughs> that is snow, man. And if any old codger calls up from from uh, Baltimore or New Hampshire or someplace like uh, Portland, Maine, says, you yeah, know, they don't have winter like they used to have. Get out. Forty-four inches, man. <laughs> they don't have winter like they used to have. There's always some old clown walking around saying that, saying all the while, you know, everything is frozen for miles around, and the ice flows are coming, floating up the Miami River. They don't have winters like you used to have. But uh, nevertheless, 44 inches, Dad. And uh, so I'm I'm waiting up there in this little airport in Bradford, PA. It's a very basic airport. I mean, it's not like uh, uh, Kennedy or LaGuardia. There aren't 522 lounges and barbershops anything like that. They got a little counter in there with about seven stools where you go in and drink coffee. That's it. See? And there's a nice lady with gray hair that keeps making more coffee. And there's uh, guys who are working on the field. That's it. Nobody else. And a couple of passengers go in and out. And it's a little building there, a brick building. And the snow, as far as the eye can see. So I, I, uh, I had about an hour to kill. I was all by myself. Nobody else in the airport. And so I walked out of the building. The wind... It's coming down into a frozen north. And I, I looked into the FSS there. They have a little uh, uh, federal uh, flight service thing there. And uh, I asked him about the weather. And he, was, he said the wind is from the northeast. And, uh, man, that's that's Canada up there. When the wind is from the northeast up there, that's coming from the home office of winter, the Arctic Circle. And whoo, it's blowing steady, you see. And it was kind of a crosswind across the, across the runway, which looked to me like an east-west runway, and you could see that big uh, runway wind indicator, weather vane. She was flopping around back and forth. And they had all these little orange flags. It really did it look like a scene right out of a, out of a Navy movie of uh, Arctic or Antarctic operations because they had outlined the, uh, the uh, runway with little orange glow flags. You see, all along, you see these flags flopping. Boy, they're standing out straight. That white stuff was coming down, and the skies were absolutely impenetrable, just lead, you see, just solid lead. And it was a nice cold, though. It wasn't uh, 
It's kind of pleasant, you know. Once in a while, uh, as an old Midwesterner, I enjoy that plunge back into real winter. You know, this is the real thing. So, so uh, I go walking out of the building and the, around the side, they have another little hangar there where all the general aircraft is. Uh, you know, the small planes, which you would call the, uh, you know, the general aircraft planes, where a few Cessnas and Pipers and that. So I walked around. There was not a soul there, absolutely not a soul. And the hangar was completely deserted. And I love to go into deserted hangars and uh, take a look at what they've got in there. And here were about five or six airplanes. Among them was an old World War II trainer. And uh, it had been totally uh, uh, modified for uh, stunt flying. You can see it had the big thing on the side, uh, license for aerobatics. And there's some guy up there who does aerobatics. And, and here were these planes sitting there quietly in that absolutely ice-cold hangar. Maybe five or six of them, a dirt floor. And the wind is banging over the corrugated roof of this hangar. And I'm walking around looking at the... There was a beach craft there, a bonanza. Whew, the wind is howling. And uh, I see out through the window of the hangar, they're tied out on the line. There are two planes tied out there in that snow. The snow drifted up all around them. There was a, a little tri-pacer, it looked like. And a little green and white tri-pacer sitting there all, all uh, blocked in with the snow. And uh, I walked around the hangar and absolutely nothing. I'm totally deserted. I believe there was also a Stinson there tied down, the wind blowing. And I could see the, the, uh, the ailerons on this plane had been tied down. I could see the wings just vibrating in that wind. And uh, I could hear the sound whistling past the elevators, making a whistling sound. And then the snowplow went screaming by again. And there was nothing going on, so I, I drifted back into the uh, the main terminal, the little building there. I got another cup of coffee. And then out of the frozen sky came this turboprop, this twin-engine turboprop. And uh, he, he went down the field. It was his downwind leg. I could see him going down, downwind, and he made a big uh, turn into base, and he's coming down on his final. I could see his flaps coming down. And boy, it was a dramatic sight. I don't know whether you find uh, flying as dramatic as I do, but it was a dramatic scene seeing that guy coming in over the hills with his flaps down and, and bucking that crosswind and that snow drifting down. And perfect landing. See, he touched down on that runway, and his props, of course, the turboprop, kicked up the snow. And uh, the minute he hit, you, you could see the snow fly, fantastic big splume of snow. And uh, he just came rolling his rollout, you see, beautifully. He's running down that center line of the runway. And uh, on either side of him, you could see that great wash of snow swirling up into the skies. It was, it was like out of a picture of Admiral Byrd. <laughs> and uh, whoosh, bah, he throws it, and he puts the brakes on, and he comes swirling up. He comes roaring up to the uh, to the little uh, little terminal there, and two people get out. The door immediately comes down. Two people get out, and the wind blows, and their coats are flapping. And uh, nobody gets out of the plane. The, the uh, pilots, the stewardesses, you see the plane is just sitting out there in the snow all by itself. And and uh, the guy behind the desk says, well, you can get on any time you want. So uh, I walked out across. Oh, yes, this is very basic flying. So I walked out across the, the uh, brief interval there, and the wind is howling around the building, and the snow is flying. And I go up the stairs, and I see the pilots in there throwing switches, and they're going over their checklist again. They're about to take off, see. And so I get into the plane, and... There was just about three people in the plane, maybe myself and two or three others. There's not much action uh, in the midweek coming down from Bradford, PA. And I get into this this plane, and uh, we go back to the end of the runway, and I see little flags next to me all flapping. 
and the wind and the snow blowing. And he sits at the end of the runway just about, a, oh, maybe a tenth of a second because he poured the coal to her. And we started to roll. Ah, I could see that snow then. She was kicking up that wash again on both sides of us. A great plume of snow. And then, whoa, we're up. He rotated her and up we go. And I could see down below it as the ground drops away almost instantly, you see. Uh, you, you begin to lose the ground because the ceiling is pretty low and in, a, in, a, in a driving snowstorm. And uh, just like that, we're up. And I could see undulating off over in the distance the, the black, uh, white, and uh, sort of dark hills that are in northern New York. And once in a while, you could see a black river, the Allegheny River, a black river snaking its way through this country, up this very dramatic country. And we went sailing off and uh, heading towards Wilkes-Barre, which was the next stop. And uh, we, we flew low. You see, he flew at about uh, four or 5,000 feet. And uh, it's just a short hop to Wilkes-Barre. By the way, I'd flown myself into that airport a couple of times. And I knew the airport. And so sure enough, we, he's, come, he's leveling in on Wilkes-Barre. And I could see, I knew exactly what he was doing, the approach. And I could see the snow going past us down there. And it was just a, a great flight. I really dug it. And the stewardess kept coming back and giving us hot chocolate. And uh, somehow that's right out of the Bobsy twins, you know, a cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> Speaking of the Bobsy twins, this is WOR, friends, in good old New York. Yeah. Yeah, Miller, man. If, uh, if you're a little bit out of the hot chocolate range, friends, and you want to lay in something real, bring it up there big. Miller Highlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Miller Highlight. Right. You like that little story, huh? One hour listen, friends. And that's it. Just like that yelling crowd there. Calm down a little bit there. I want to tell you, Daddy O, if you're going to lay it in this weekend, I'd like to suggest a great big fat old vibrating six pack of Miller High Life beer. Just pulsating with passion, man. This is the passionate beer. I mean, all those others, you know, they get bubbled and foam and they taste kind of bitter. But Miller High Life, you know, the word High Life is meant really that way, you know. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. You can get it in cans and bottles. You can get it in troughfuls, man. Miller High Life, yeah. Miller High Life, the Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Man, they have winners up there, too. Now, uh... Let's see, we got a couple of other whoopies. Let's get them on. How about that seaboard thing? You got that ready in there, Herbert? All aboard! All aboard for Miami. The upbeat city, filled with places to go, things to do, memories to share. For your vacation trip to Miami this season, make the going as great as being there. Take the Florida Special, the fun train to Florida. Besides the roomy accommodations for both Pullman and coach passengers, the Florida Special features a candlelight dinner served with champagne, fashion show, folk sing-along, television, movies, and an onboard hostess. It's such an easy and relaxing way to travel, you'll almost hate to get off. Remember, this year, the train is in and easy to take. Call Seaboard Coastline Railroad or your travel agent today. In this area, friends, right to Seaboard Coastline, 12 West 51st Street, New York, 10020, or call 245-7380, area code 212. You know, speaking of uh, the Seaboard Coastline, uh, do you know that, that I have a, um, a uh, 
Well, no, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. No, I have a uh, an emotional response to that seaboard coastline. And I don't know whether I should tell you or not. Oh, it's good. It's not anti the railroads. Not at all. That's a very peculiar... All right, I will tell you. That's It's an army story. You want to hear a sad army story? Immediately following a couple of these little whoopies here. Uh, one of the whoopies we got here, your dad, if you've got, uh, if you've got the, uh, you know, if you've got the hunger, man, for a, a color TV set. I mean, you know, it's no accounting for taste, but if you happen to have that, you've got to have a, that uh, little pink old David Brinkley come around your house every day, and a little old dark green Chad Huntley and all that. I mean, you know, you know, there's a lot of people like that kind of stuff. Now, if you've had the thing going for a, a color TV set, here is your chance now to get a Magnavox color television set in their fantastic once-a-year factory-authorized sale. This is no hanky-panky, you know, with some guy selling hot TV sets from trucks that he picked up on along the Jersey Turnpike. This is the real thing, Dad. Yes, sir, Magnavox, and you can save up to 60 bananas, big Iron Men. And uh, right now only, you know, this is a fantastic Magnavox set, you know, it tunes everything and it whistles Dixie and it does it all, boy. Magnavox Color TV and uh, fine-tunes your set automatically. You know, I wonder how guys that are nearsighted tune their TV sets, you know. Do, do they permanently tune them nearsighted, you know? <laughs> but this is a Magnavox, and you can pick up one of these jazzy Magnavox color TVs at the lowest price in their history, 299.90. That's 10 cents less than 300 bucks, and this is the time to do it. During the annual factory-authorized sales, so you look for your nearest Magnavox dealer in the yellow page. He's a little guy, he hangs around in there. You just open that up and shake it, and he'll fall out. He's in your yellow book, Magnavox dealer. You look for him in there, huh? He'll save you a bundle. That's what the copy says, a bundle. Bindle stiffs everywhere you look. Bundle. Now, uh, we have one other here. Let's see. We've got the Millie Rosetta. Oh, Rosetta, yeah. Oh, you want to see the, the number of uh, smudgy cards and letters we are getting from the faithful out there. Numbers of smudgy little letters, thumb-printed, and tear-stained, and... Hey, by the way, have you noticed these commercials recently? Have you noticed the rise of violence in our world has been uh, finally at long last recognized in these friendly little fun household commercials? Have you notice that Arthur Godfrey comes on and he says, uh, You know, friends, I want to tell you about this wonderful pre-wash rinse. Now here, you take, for example, this shirt with this big old blood stain on it. Now you just... Holy smokes, what's going on in those commercials? And he brings up the shirt, and it looks like the guy's been plugged right through the heart. Yeah, big blood stain right there. Now, I'm telling you, have you seen those? There's about five of them. They keep talking about blood stains. Of course, if you've got a little neighborhood, uh, you know, if you've one of your relatives works for the mafia, he's liable to have a lot of laundry of that type around, you know, so you don't know, you know. <laughs> but I've been watching this. Remember when they used to say simply a stain? They used to say uh, difficult stains. Uh, that kind of stuff, or problem stains. Now they come right out. They say, now here, it, even blood stains. And you see this great big blob of blood. Now, if you've got a color TV set, friends, you'll see all the real stuff on TV. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> come on, is that a sick comment? It is not. I say the commercials are. Because I have pointed it out does not mean I am sick, friends. It's only the sick people who don't recognize it. That's what bothers me. Bump, bump, bump. Yeah, let's see, Magnavox. Oh, yes, Rosetta. My Rosetta. And I'd like to report that we've been getting all these smudgy little cards and letters from uh, people out there who are sending for the special hip catalog, man. Only sent to Shepherd listeners only. 
So if you're uh, a John Gambling listener, you're trying to pass by sneaking in here at night. We can tell right away by your little round handwriting, you know, that nice little girl handwriting. Anybody who dots his eyes with little circles does not get one of these catalogs. <laughs> or even more sick-making than that, I have occasionally received letters from people who dotted their eyes with little tiny hearts. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yes, it's terrible. Terrible. It took 20 minutes to recover from that one. I had to take two Alka-Seltzers after that. But uh, nevertheless, friends, uh, if you're one of the real ones out there and you'd like this fantastic special hip catalog for Shepherd listeners only, they got black light equipment. Think what you can do with that. Psychedelic. Yeah, Gaslight. You remember the movie Gaslight? Well, you remember what Charles Boyer, how he drove Ingrid Bergman right out of her bird? Remember that? Right? You remember that? It's a great movie, see? Well, it was kind of corny, but it's terrific, you know. And uh, a great idea. Friends, just think what you could do to the rest of your family. You sneak around, see, and you wire the house with black light. And so, you know, the old man comes into the john, he flips on the switch, and it's black light, and his face is green, purple, and it's looking out at him from this mirror. Ah! And you cackle. <laughs> and uh, they got psychedelic lighting. And the strobes and all that and wild black light posters. These are really wild. I mean, they're, they're, they're terrible. I mean, just awful. And for this special catalog, you've got to be a qualified art lover. You've got to be a responsible, reliable, sober, industrious citizen of this republic. And also, you must be able to prove that you listen to this uh, in this turkey every night, see? So uh, the way you get this fantastic Rosetta special catalog is just send your name and address to turkey, W-O-R. Okay? And we'll know you're one of us. Rosetta, they have everything. They're at 79 Chamber Street, 75 West 45th Street, and 73 Murray Street. You send for that catalog, okay? Get on a stick. Now, you have one more in there? Hit the button, please. Now you can go, go, go to sit go and win up to $2,500 playing Be a Winner. Pick up a game card and rub off three flower petals on the card. If the word go appears three times, you win the value of the card. $1, $5, $25, or $100. And because every card has at least three goes on it, every card can be a winner. The luckier you are at guessing where the goes are, the more you can win. Best of all, you find out if you're a winner on the spot. And if your luck's really running high, you can also win the big prize of $2,500. Just save each game card you get until you spell out the words, a nice place to visit. If you're a licensed driver, you can play Be a Winner. For details and a game card, drive into your participating Sitco dealers now. It's a nice place to visit and win up to $2,500. Remember, this is the game where every card can be a winner. Nothing to buy, void where prohibited. Listen, I had a glove compartment. I used to have this car, which I finally got rid of. It just got insane because I had a glove compartment that was stuffed so full of little round metals and uh, animals' heads. And, uh, <laughs> oh, boy, every time I went in, I got this stuff. You know, and, and my glove compartment was so stuffed full of this stuff that finally I just had to get rid of the car. You know, it was just easier than trying to empty that glove compartment. I was kind of afraid of it anyway. But uh, nevertheless, now, I have to tell you this story now. All set now, friends? Settle back. Before we do that, uh, i got a couple of things I have to do here. I don't know whether you heard this. Uh, one of my favorite uh, humor papers, people keep writing me, and they say, well, what do you read, you know, with the... What do you find really jazzy, really funny? See, well, one of my favorite humor papers is the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin. I mean, it's very... The best humor, of course, is unconscious. 
what makes it so great is they're they're serious, you know. And so I keep reading this paper and falling off my chair and knocking over the ferns and all that in my office, you know. And the aphids yell and holler. But uh, nevertheless, from the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin, a, a an item from the February 12th issue, which uh, I picked up here, and it's from the Bulletin Harrisburg Bureau. Now Harrisburg's an official. That's the, the you know the state of Pennsylvania's capital there, Harrisburg. There's more than the butcher's thumb behind short weights. The uh, Bureau of Standard Weights and Measures in Harrisburg, in Pennsylvania, reported yesterday. In a listing of, quote, interesting cases, the Bureau found poor eyesight by a scale operator <laughs> to be responsible for most of the short weight packages of meat in supermarkets. So if you go to the supermarket, you, know, you see this guy with these big, thick cheaters on, you know, he's got glasses that look like the bottom of Coke bottles. Well, you better be careful, you know, this guy's probably... But that, nevertheless, the most interesting case of all, it was reported by the Bureau of Weights and Measures. Listen carefully now. Get the get the potatoes out of your ears. This is, you're going to like this one. The most interesting case involved, and we quote the official report, a buxom young lady who consistently processed short-weight packages due to the fact that she was weighing part of her anatomy each time she stepped close to the scales. We missed that one completely. That's too bad. No, you didn't hear it. Come on. The Bureau said, and we quote, her ingenious manager, who discovered the reason for the short weights, installed a metal guard in front of the scale, effectively preventing a recurrence of this mishap. wonder how much they weighed. <laughs> Did you hear that? This chick get up there and weigh it slap me. <laughs> I mean, I, why does that appeal to me? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a real rotten news item. But that's the truth. That, that was listed, uh, an official release by the Bureau of Standard Weights and Measures. And uh, this young lady, but she's a great date. Now, uh, we have another one here. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, all right, I'll tell you the story. Now, I might as well come out. You know, I've been beating around the bush here trying to get out of it. But uh, I'll tell you the story about my... My little hang-up on the uh, seaboard people, you know, the seaboard railroad there. Have you ever seen their trains? You ever seen the one that goes down to Miami? Well, let me tell you a little story about that. I'm, uh, this goes back to when I'm in the Army, see? I'm in the Army. And uh, the Army does kind of funny things to you, you know. Uh, you begin to live in a sort of a, a private world. I mean, this is the real Army, you know. You're, you're in a private world of the Army. It's, it's, it's it. And uh, the outside world is kind of an alien thing. In fact, you don't even think much about it. It's uh, it's out there. That's it. That's just the, the other world. And uh, in the army, we're all together. So I'm in this camp, and uh, it's in Missouri, in the foothills of the Ozark. And it's bad news. I want to tell you bad news. And of course, you know, you just sort of accept that for a while. You get to, you get used to it. I'm going through all the obstacle courses, and I'm doing all this stuff, and. The camp, I'm telling you, the camp was, if you'll excuse the expression, hell on wheels. It was a bad news camp. And, uh, oh, yeah, it would alternately rain. I mean, really rain. And then it would snow. Oh, boy, would it snow. But it never was in between. It was either raining or snowing. And uh, if it wasn't doing, well, I would say, it, yes, it, it, there was one point when it would do neither one of those. That's when it would drop to 30 below zero. And so it was up and down, back and forth. And I am, you know, I'm doing this kind of work where, all the time, I am out in the uh, in the uh, 
pole line yard, and we're climbing up and down telephone poles. Have you ever climbed a 35-foot pole, friends? At, say, the temperature running about 15 degrees, and the sleet coming down out of the Ozark Hills, you learn a little about reality with your climbers on. And I'm uh, carrying that cross piece up there, and the wind is screaming, and down below me is this sergeant hollering, and we're trying to get the wire up and break the record of company L's or some crazy thing like that. And, and uh, you know, it was just one long... Uh, it was like having a gigantic toothache 24 hours a day being there. And we'd come back into the mess hall, and, and then we'd sit glumly. And the word was out, of course, all the time, that we were going to get shipped. None of us knew where we were going to go, but we were going to get shipped. And I'm in this little band of malcontents, this little company. It was Company K. And uh, we are about to embark on our great career. And, well, great career. We're about to embark. And so uh, day after day after day, this went day after day after day. And it just seemed to go on endlessly. And if we weren't crawling through concrete culverts on our behind, dragging our rifle, and with the wind coming down our neck and through the mud and the slush, we were pretending like we were out on the range. We were dry-firing our gun, or our piece, if you prefer that. Uh, there's always some guy's going to write, saying, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. Fan don't know. I carried one for three years. I got a groove in my back to show it. I know what the words are. So uh, it went on and on and on. This can go, you know, just got to be one long, uh, well, kind of a farrago, one long dance. And every morning they would... The rain is beating down in the barracks, and it's 4.35 in the morning. And uh, you could hear the wind <laughs> pouring down, and uh, the whistles would blow, and you'd wake up, and uh, you, you could still taste last night's chow, salt pork and beans. Believe it or not, I was actually in an office where they really served beans. You know, everybody talks about army. Yeah, they really did. And you wake up in the morning, and the rain is pouring down, and it's dripping through the barracks, and you could smell your fatigues, which have not into the laundry for four weeks and they're gamey and you wake up and it's yellow light bulb hanging over your head and this this uh, corporal from Tennessee is running around here come on let's go you guys drop him socks and let's get moving let's go and he's running back and forth and uh, running like mad until you get up and the first couple of weeks you know you do these things fast when they holler but now you're kind of moving in slow motion you swing your legs down it's cold and the wind is blowing along the barracks floor and you put on your you put on your leggings and you, you know, the whole bit, and everything's kind of damp and wet and clammy. And then you have PA systems. Oh, the uniform of the day will be Class D fatigues, helmet liner. Uh, you will also wear your gas mask. You must wear your cartridge belt today. You will wear your leggings. And uh, please, uh, you will wear your. Uh, the guy's checking the list. You will now wear your uh, medical kit and uh, bayonet. Uh, the uniform will also include field jacket and uh, GI raincoat. There will be a formation in just five minutes on the company straight. Uh, the rain is coming down. You put your crummy field jacket on and your raincoat and your bayonet and your gas mask. And then the next thing you know, you're out on the street. And the rain, the rain is banging down on your helmet. <laughs> you know, this is a very, uh, very distinctive sound. You can't really hear much when that rain is coming down on a tin hat. You know, <laughs> the rain is pouring down, dripping right down your back of your neck, and it's ice cold. Well, it's went on and on. And then the word is out. After about, it seemed like a year of this, <laughs> all of a sudden it is announced that we are about to ship, that we are redlined, and we are going to leave on Friday. 
And boy, the excitement getting out of this any place. We didn't care where they if they sent us to hell. We didn't care. Just get out of this place. He says we had it out to here, and everybody's running around all excited, and they're getting their equipment all checked and all that stuff. What do you think happened? The day before we were to ship, I woke up, and I was so sick I couldn't believe it. Was I sick? I woke up. I don't know what it was. I'll tell you, I was so sick, I was shaking. I mean, just shaking, and I was sweating. And it was the first time I'd sweat. <laughs> you know, you don't sweat. It was always cold there. And I'm sweating, and I'm the sweat is pouring off of me, and I've got a headache, and I, jeez, I feel rotten. And I wake up in the morning, and I'm scared. I'm sick. I'm really sick. And I can feel the chills, and alternately there were chills, and then I'd feel real hot. Then I'd feel chills. And so I get up in the morning, and fall out the company street in the rain. And the first sergeant is walking around back and forth in front of the company. And he is barking out orders about our, our, uh, about, to, our, our about to happen shipment. And he's saying, well, men's we're going to ship now. All you guys know that from now on we're under tight security. We are now alerted for shipment. We will have no letters home about this shipment. You will not guess. You will not even give any rumors out as to where we are going to go because I don't even know and the CEO don't know. We do not know where we are about to go. The orders has already arrived at battalion headquarters and they is sealed. As you guys know, we are a high security radar outfit and all these things must be kept to you. You keep them lips buttoned. You see all them posters in the latrine about button your lip and sink a ship. Well, that means us, right? We will have no talk. Now, any of you men that need any special medical training or any special medical treatments or anything like that, you will report down to the day room before we ship, and we will see if we can get any of your shots or anything like that completed before we get on the way. Now, any questions? And I am shaking. Oh, I'm so sick. I can hardly stand up. I'm really, this is one of those few times in my life that I've been sick, so sick that I was swaying. And the whole ground around me was tilting. And I couldn't even hear what he was saying. I could just hear a ringing in my ears. And my head hurt. And up above my eyes, I could feel this terrible pain just rocking through my head. And at the same time, my throat, it was so sore. And I could hardly, I could hardly open my, any of you doctors out there, I don't know what you're recognizing, but I never found out what it was, that, that my throat was so sore I could hardly talk, even to myself. And sick, my stomach, I could feel sick to my stomach, but most of all, I felt chills. Tremendous chills. And then I would, the chill would last for about a minute, and I'd shake like mad. And then there would be enormous heat, and I would sweat. Well, through that whole day, we were out climbing the poles or, doing some crazy thing. I don't recall exactly what it was, but I just remember that whole day went by as a fantastic nightmare. And the one thing over and over, I get something to myself, oh, don't let them find out. If they find out, you're sunk. The company's going to ship and you're going to be stuck here. And God knows where you'll be sent. Oh, who knows, they may even keep you here in this hall. The whole thing, I was afraid, you see, that if I went down to the dispensary, down at the clinic. You know, guys were always goofing off and inventing sicknesses, and here I was really sick, see? And the one thing I was afraid of doing was going down to the going down to the clinic and telling them I'm sick, because I knew, man, I was so sick, I knew what would happen. I would go to the hospital right now, and the company was going. And I was scared, really scared. 
and everything kept swirling. I couldn't, I couldn't even see. I remember trying to climb a pole, and that pole kept swinging. Can you imagine being up on the top of a 30-foot telephone pole and being so dizzy that I couldn't see? And the ground kept tilting on me. The wind was blowing. Well, finally, the day was over. We have chow. I don't even go to chow. And I sit on the edge of my bunk. I remember looking over at Gassy, and I says, Gassy, I'm really sick, man. He says, you better go down to the clinic, man. You don't know what you got. You may have spinal meningitis or something terrible. You know, they had it around there. A lot of guys were getting it. I says, oh, I don't know. I can't do anything. If I go down there, man, I'm sunk. And I kept throwing up. I kept, I kept running down to the latrine, yeah, and I was afraid people would see me. Well, the night goes by, and I couldn't sleep. I was, I was just tossing and turning and sweating and sick. And I'd get up every five minutes and run down to the latrine. And, boy, it was unbelievable. And it was getting worse. I was, I was, the only time in my life I saw spots before my eyes. Really? Have you ever really seen spots? I did. Real spots. Well, it finally was dawn. This is the day we're to ship. It is dawn. And it's gray. And we are lined up in the company street. All of our equipment, our full field pack. Barracks bags, raincoats, helmet liner, everything. M1 now. We've been issued the M1s. We're ready, man. And the rain is coming down. And the first sergeant is calling the roll. And the captain's all dressed up. And the second lieutenant, and the two second Louis, and a couple of a couple of staff sergeants. You know, they're all in there traveling. Uh, they're, class, they're class A's. And there's a train pulled up. We could see it down at the end, way down by the second army headquarters down there. And sure enough, Ten minutes later, we are marched down and we are standing by the train. You've ever seen pictures of them getting on the train? It was the way it is, you know. We're all standing by this train and waiting. And they're checking off our names. Each guy gets up into the train and he checks off. And I can't even walk. It's fantastic. And I said to Gans, I said, Gans, you better hold me up, man. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to pass right out. And I was really sick. Well, we faked it. And I got on the train. And the train started to roll. We were out of maybe out of the siding maybe a half an hour, and I know we're gone from the camp. They can't do anything, and I can let myself get sick. And I just sort of let it go. I'm just sick, and uh, the first sergeant comes back and says, "What's the matter with you?" I said, "I'm sick." He said, "Why did you tell me? You mean to tell me you're going to get sick on a train? Oh no, no!" I said, "Yeah, I'm sick." He said, "Oh." And then he said, the only thing he ever said that was good to me, he said, I don't blame you. He said, I wouldn't have gone and stayed in that hole ever myself. He said, come on, come on. He grabs a hole in my neck and he drags me down to the end of the car. And every troop train has a doctor on it. Did you know that? That's right, medical officer. And this guy took one look at me. And he says, make up his bunk. And they put me in one of these bunks. And I lay in this bunk. Well, you know, we made that trip. We were 63 hours on the rail. And I just remember vaguely waking up. Vaguely. I'd wake up and I'd go swooning back. I was out of my head all the time. Completely. My throat and i sweat and I'd wake up. And they'd bring me some stuff once in a while. One of the guys would bring me a mess kit. I'd say, oh, take it away. Oh, wow. I was so sick. And it just went on and on. It was like a one long nightmare. And I'd hear rattling and banging and crashing. And I'd hear the guys talking. And once in a while, I'd hear the sound of somebody hollering. And 
I'd hear a, a card game going on, and I'd sleep again, wake up. And my entire bunk was just bathed in sweat, was just thick with sweat. It was the worst journey I ever made in my life. And I kept coming out of this, this delirium. I was delirious for a while, I remember that. And I would look out, and then I began to notice things around me. I was getting better. I didn't know it, but I was so sick. And I noticed right above me, there is a plaque-like, right above me. I, I kept looking at it and reading it and looking at it and reading it. And what do you think it said? Seaboard Railway. That's right. It was a train. Now, that wasn't their train. It was apparently a car they got from them. It said Seaboard Railroad or Railway, whatever the name is, but it's Seaboard stuck in my mind. And I kept looking out of the window, laying in my bunk. It was made out of pipes. The bunk wasn't the kind of bunk you see in the, you know, in the Pullman's. It was just a GI bunk and sweat. And I kept reading that thing over and over again. The patent number of the car. Yeah, you know, the patent number of the car. And then I drift off again. And then finally, at long last, we got to where we were going. And the doors opened. And it was like a miracle cure. I, I don't know what I had. I got out of the train, and I felt like 50 pounds lighter my uniform has fallen off of me the temperature is 80 degrees and I look back and I see this great big line a big line of letters that, that over the top of the train it said seaboard coastline in gold leaf seaboard coastline and I always remember the car so I've had a little experience with that railroad every time I see the name seaboard coastline I have that emotional thing. I can feel my throat tightening up. The fear I'm going to be redlined. 